Well, good morning. I am Michael Flake, one of the pastors here. Great to be together as a church family this morning, both online and in the Y. Fun to worship together. Whether you're cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there is room for you here. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. We do want to say thank you to Terrell. The U-City plant is going to start later this year or early next year. So still got a while. This is, early, I mean, this is like your third week on the, on the staff as a planter. So still getting, getting all the, the pieces together. But thank you for letting us share in the joy of not keeping the hope of Jesus to ourselves. So thank you very much for that. For those who do or don't know, at current 3% of our annual budget goes towards church planting. Hopefully over the years we'll be able to even increase that to more. But if you give a dollar to Lake Forest uh, Davidson, three cents of that is going to go to help support the U-City and then the El Buen Samaritano, the Spanish-speaking plants of Lake Forest right now. Even in the year ahead, as we become our own local church, we're go- still going to be part of the family work of planting these churches, the U-City plant and the El Buen Samaritano. So this is work we do together because it matters. Uh, It matters so, so much. Well, today we want to, oh, the very last thing I should say is, if you know someone or if you are someone who would be interested to learn more about the U-City plant, uh, just reach out to Terrell. We would love that. And if you were to decide that was something you were passionate about and wanted to be a part of, we we would not kick you out the door. We would send you off gladly. To, uh, to go be part of that exciting work. Or if you know someone who goes to UNC or uh, C or lives down in that area, please let us know so we can uh, get them started on the right foot. Send them with our blessing. Today we continue our series of sermons called The Story. We are looking at the big picture of the Bible. Now the Bible can be big. The Bible can feel intimidating sometimes. And so we're trying to make it not feel quite that big and intimidating. Today I want to ask you, have you ever seen one of those pictures that can be two totally different things depending on how you look at it? The original version was that some people, there's this picture that some people think is a duck and some people think it's a rabbit. Then there's this other picture that some people think is a young lady and then some people think is an old lady. There are some people on our staff who cannot see the old lady no matter how often we describe her. They're both one image but you have two totally different ways to view it. That's what the sermon is about today. As we go through the story, the big picture of the Bible. As I was saying, the Bible can seem big and intimidating. But what we're trying to do is make it seem a little less big, a little less intimidating. People are trying to figure out where the old woman is, aren't you? That means you're young, according to psychologists. That's what they said. Yeah. I can only see the old woman. So we've got some resources to help you along the way, some reading plans, some videos, and these sermons so that we can jump into God's story and find our place in God's story. We've watched God's redemptive plan begin to take shape. We've watched God pick up the broken pieces of humanity to make a work of art. He started with the broken pieces named Abraham and Sarah, promising that through their family he would bless the people of every family. God told them in Genesis 17, 7, that I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God 
and the God of your descendants after you. So the Bible is the, is the book of an everlasting covenant, an everlasting promise that culminated in Jesus the Christ who was born into the family of Abraham and Sarah. But we're still a long way from that. Abraham and Sarah had a son named Isaac. Isaac and Rebekah have two sons, Jacob and Esau. God changed Jacob's name to Israel. That was last week. And then Israel, Jacob, had all kinds of children, that's a very technical term, all kinds of children by multiple women. Among those children, he had 12 sons. So later in the Bible, you'll hear talk of the 12 tribes of Israel. You may not understand what that is. That is the descendants of Israel, Jacob's 12 sons. The family of faith keeps growing and growing and growing. God is working from generation to generation to generation. Jacob has all kinds of children, like Reuben and Dinah, like Levi, like Judah, like Joseph. Joseph is the youngest. Joseph is his favorite. He gives Joseph a beautiful, ornate robe, technicolor, some people might say. How do you suppose that went over with the other kids? Well, then, as a teenager, Joseph began to have these really vivid dreams, and he would tell his family about him. Most of them revolved around his older siblings bowing down to him. Jacob had no issue with the dreams being talked about until the dreams started to include Jacob bowing down to him. And then Jacob, Israel, put the kibosh on sharing about the dreams. One day, Israel, Jacob, sent Joseph to check on the work of his older siblings. That gets us to where Pete was reading earlier. Genesis 37. They saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. All that favoritism, that hideous-looking ornate robe. We're out here working ourselves to death, and he's at the house with Dad. He's old enough to work, too. He's being sent out to check on us, him and his bratty little dreams. All the years of unnamed frustration are coming to a boiling point. And here's the boiling point. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe and all that it represented. They stripped him of his robe, the ornate one he was wearing. They took him and threw him into a cistern. We were watching before our eyes the family of faith fall apart, be ripped apart. As they sat down to eat their meal, this is verse 25, as they sat down to eat their meal, and time out, time out, they threw their brother in a pit, and now they're going to sit down to eat sandwiches. This is what they do. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. So there's almost an explosion of anger by the brothers. They throw their youngest brother in a pit. Then they sit down and eat to figure out what to do with him. They decide not to kill him. They decide to sell him into slavery. They see Ishmaelites traveling to Egypt, and that's what they do. They sell their brothers to the Ishmaelites. Now, if you've been here the last few weeks, you may remember the Ishmaelites then are the descendants of Ishmael. So Abraham's great-grandchildren are selling their brother to Abraham's other great-grandchildren. It's funny how life turns out. So Joseph does go down to Egypt. When he gets in Egypt, there's a prominent leader named Potiphar who buys him. Potiphar likes Joseph because he gets stuff done and he does a good job. 
Turns out Potiphar's wife also likes Joseph, but for different reasons. She puts Joseph in a very compromising situation. He runs away, and she gets upset about this, and so she tells Potiphar, your Hebrew slave tried to take advantage of me. Joseph is wrongly accused, but he's thrown in prison. It's funny how life turns out. He had gone from being the favorite to now being locked up in an Egyptian prison. And in prison, he meets a man who used to work for the Pharaoh, who was his cupbearer. And the cupbearer has an unsettling dream. And Joseph says to him, well, I serve an awesome God. Why don't you tell me about the dream, and we'll see if God doesn't give me insight into what it means. Now, that's quite a step for Joseph, right? Years ago, he was saying, hey, listen to these cool dreams I had. You jokers are bowing down to me. And now he's saying, God can do great things, and maybe he'll let me be a part of it. So he's been sold into slavery. He sat wrongly accused in prison. But what's been happening that whole time? What has he been doing with all that time to reflect? Joseph, amidst his struggles, Joseph became more confident that God is always with him. And that a God-centered life is better than a me-centered life. Amidst his struggles, Joseph became more confident that God is always with him, that a God-centered life is better than a me-centered life, that God desires to be with his people, that God desires to be with you. God desires to be with me, even in our lowest points, even in the places we think God should not be. What business does God have being in an Egyptian prison? And yet, he was there with Joseph watching over Joseph, bringing the right people into Joseph's life across his path. Joseph was never alone. God used the hard circumstances of his life to shape him, to transform him. Joseph sat in that Egyptian prison for years. For years. They didn't have due process in ancient Egypt. He sat there for years, wrongly accused. One day, a guard came to get him handed him some new clothes, started to shave him up, give him a neat appearance. What's happening, Joseph said. The guard said words that would change his life forever. The Pharaoh wants to see you. Turns out, Pharaoh had an unsettling dream. And his cupbearer heard about it and said, you need to talk to this guy named Joseph. Funny how life turns out. So Pharaoh asks Joseph if he can interpret his dream. What's the correct answer if a Pharaoh asks you, can you interpret my dream? Yes. Here's Joseph's response. I cannot do it. <laughs> Genesis 41, 16. I cannot do it. Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. What happened to Joseph? The bratty teenage dreamer is now a God-centered adult, is now confident in God's power and God's provision and wanting to be used by God. Through all the hardship, God has cultivated in him a God-centered life, a God-centered character. So God, in his grace, reveals to Joseph what the dream means. Pharaoh's dream means a famine is coming, and Egypt needs to start preparing now to survive the famine later. Pharaoh is so impressed by Joseph. And how God works through him, that he makes him functionally the vice president of Egypt and puts him him in charge of the famine relief effort. Funny how life turns out. 
So years later, the famine has started, the famine has gotten worse, and so people start coming from areas around Egypt to ask for food. One day, about a dozen brothers show up to ask for food. They approach Joseph. There's all these food lines. They approach Joseph. They say something like, we ain't from around here. Well, Joseph already knew that. Egyptians don't say ain't. That's, that sounds like something Hebrews would say. And so he double takes at these guys again, and his heart seizes up in his chest. These are his brothers, and they're asking for food, and they're bowing down to him as they do it. And Joseph does not say, see, I told you so. Instead, he asks them, are there more people in your family? And they say, well, yes, we have a younger brother who we lost, and we have an even younger brother named Benjamin. Why do you ask? And so eventually, uh, it's, a long, it's a long, long, drawn-out thing as you read the passages, but eventually what happens is Joseph orders everyone but these men out of his presence, and he begins to weep. And he tells them, your younger brother is not lost. And now their hearts seize up in their chests. They start looking for the TV crew. Genesis 45.3, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But the brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. And I don't blame them. And yet, this is a different Joseph than the one they threw in that cistern and sold to the Ishmaelites. Because God has been transforming him. God has been transforming his heart to not seek revenge. And it turns out that, yes, Jacob, Israel, is still living. And so Joseph is reunited with his whole family, with his siblings, with his, his, youngest, his youngest brother Benjamin, who he had never met, and with his father. And Joseph's a big deal now. He moves all of them down to Egypt, where there's plenty of food and plenty of space for Jacob's all kind of children to spread out. Everything goes really well for the reunited family of faith, at least while Jacob is alive. But even the most dysfunctional families can hold it together for the patriarch or the matriarch. But just wait till the parking lot after the funeral. Well, this is the second passage that Pete read for us earlier. The last chapter, the last verses of Genesis. Genesis fifty fifteen. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? Good question. Probably should have thought about that before you threw him in a pit. So they basically make up a story, which sounds like something they would have learned from their father, that they shouldn't hurt their, you know, that your dad's dying wishes don't hurt us. But this is what Joseph says to them. Don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. He reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. In other words, Joseph's a changed man. 
Joseph is different than he's not keeping the peace just for Jacob's sake. God's actually transformed him. God transformed him from the inside out. Through all of his hardships, through all of his successes, God has been with him. God has been shaping him into a more God-centered life, a more God-centered character. How else could he learn to embrace and speak kindly to these men? They had thrown him in a pit. They had sold him away to slavery and assumed he was forever lost. So Joseph caps off his reunion with his brothers with a statement that I think is a summary of the hope he found in God, that I think is meant to be a summary of the first book of the Bible, that I think is actually a pretty good summary of the whole Bible, and may well be a summary of our lives. Genesis 50, 20. Joseph says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph summarizes to his brothers this, You intended to harm me, but God intended for good what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You meant it for evil, God meant it for good for the saving of many lives. That's a deep hope. That's a deep confidence that God knows what He's doing. That's a deep confidence. I wonder if that's where Joseph's God-centered character came from. I wonder if Joseph's God-centered character came from a God-centered hope that God changed Joseph, but maybe he changed Joseph largely by changing how he, view, how he viewed the events of his life. Maybe God will change you and me by changing how we view the events of our lives. God changed Joseph by changing his view of his own story. It was the same life. It was the same events, but over time, Joseph developed a totally different perspective. And where he once could only see the duck, now he could only see the rabbit. Where he could once only see the old lady, like all of you, he now could only see the young lady. What once looked like betrayal, one betrayal after another, now looked like God redeeming him, looked like God working through him to save the lives of others. That's a deep hope that God knows what He's doing. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. A deep hope that God knew what He was doing, that as we look back on our lives, we might be able to say something similar. That was, you meant that for evil, but God meant that for good. A friend of mine spent years in jail for a crime he did not commit. And if you ask him about those years, here's what he will say. That's when I got my Bible college degree. And what he means by that is he had nothing to do all day but sit and think. He's now a minister. Was he wrongly imprisoned? Or was he enrolled in Bible college? Is it a hare or is it a duck? Same event, different perspectives. Has the last year of life disrupted our busy lives or has it given us a chance to rebuild our schedules from the ground up from, on what really matters? When your community group multiplies from one group to two groups, is that a loss of relationship or is that an opportunity for more people to belong? 
Have the struggles of your life, the setbacks in life, convinced you that God is out to get you? Or have they shown you that nothing else in all creation can sustain and satisfy you like God can? Same events, different perspectives. The New Testament says it this way, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. That does not say that everything is good. It doesn't say that God causes everything. God does not cause evil, and some things are not good. But the point is that as a follower of Jesus, or if today, or if sometime in the future you become a follower of Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, my hope is that God's strong and steady hand guides my life. As a follower of Jesus, my hope is that my, God's strong and steady hand guides my life. God's strong and steady hand guides your life, guides my life. Our little lives actually are part of His broader story, and His story is a redemptive story. And that sort of hope can change us. That sort of hope changed Joseph. It changed how he treated his brothers. It can change how we treat the people in our lives. Now, Joseph was not naive. Joseph, Joseph never said, man, I'm so glad, you know, about getting thrown in that pit. But he did not seek revenge. His need for revenge, his need to settle the score, his need to personally right all those wrongs, gave way to a deep confidence in God's redemptive work. A deep confidence in God's redemptive work so that He and you and I can continue doing what's right, continue doing good, recognizing that God's strong and steady hand is guiding this story forward and is guiding it in a redemptive direction. So I guess this is my whole point. God-centered hope changes how we treat and view others. God-centered hope changes how we treat and view others. And the best example of this I could find, any guesses? Jesus. Always a safe guess at church, even online church. Jesus says this as he's dying on the cross. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. They think they're executing a wannabe Messiah, but they are unjustly killing the one true Messiah. It's the same event, different perspectives. And Jesus, being fully God and fully human, He could do anything to the people who mocked and murdered Him. He could do anything to those people. He could do anything to us. So what does He do? He forgives them. He forgives us. His deep hope was in God. That His death was the redemption of the world. That it removed our debt by paying it Himself and paving the way for all of us to be reconciled to God in Jesus' name. And that hope, that very hope led Him to the cross and that hope, that very hope changed or shaped what He said on it. He's prayed over those people. He prayed over us. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Sounds like He knows me pretty well. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
God-centered hope changes how we treat and view people. So my question then is this. How does Joseph's journey and his hope shape your view of your own life? How does Joseph's journey, how does his hope shape your view of your own life? Does God know what he's doing? Is God guiding your life, the good, the bad, the ugly? Not pretending that the bad wasn't bad and the ugly wasn't ugly. But is God guiding your life in a redemptive direction? To a place, even as we heard Terrell say, it's like I was, I was made for this. It's all been leading up to this. Or to get you to a place where you can see that that invitation into God's family is an invitation that you can build your life on. Father, forgive him. Father, forgive her. He doesn't know what he's doing. She doesn't know what she's doing. She can only see the hair. Give her time with me. She'll only be able to see the duck. Take those same events. And from a totally different perspective, the deep confidence that God's strong hand, steady hand guides your life, you'll begin to see something new. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, to talk to God, to listen to God about whatever He's stirring up in your heart or in your mind. Just take this quiet moment for personal prayer. Lord, I pray for our church family. Because I know that some of us feel like we're in the pit. Some of us feel like we're locked in an Egyptian prison for crimes we did not commit. Some of us feel like the vice president in charge of a relief effort. And it's going pretty good. Wherever we are, Lord, will you give us that deep, abiding hope that at some point in the future we will be able to say what you meant for evil, God meant for good. That you will give us a deep confidence that your strong and steady hand is guiding our lives, the lives of those sitting around us, Lord, may we build that confidence on the prayer of Jesus as being not about everybody else in the world, but about us. Father, forgive me. Forgive Michael. Father, forgive me. I don't know what I'm doing. May we find in that forgiveness a new freedom, a new life. 
a deep and transformative relationship with you. I pray in this time and these songs, as we go from this place, we will open up our hearts to you for the first time or in a new way. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's continue our worship through prayer. If we can pray for you, let us know at davidsonprayer at lakeforest.org, through giving at lakeforest.org slash give. Here in the gym, the wicker basket is where you can put all that, and by singing together. Let's keep our worship going.